All right. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here. I appreciate it, and I hope not to bore you to tears tonight. I realize that you came supposedly to hear something from the Lord and not from a donkey. You know, Balaam obviously didn't know when he was hearing from the Lord, so they gave him a donkey in its place. I know I'm a peacock, but maybe I might be a, a donkey. That's funny. You can laugh. I'm good with that. I really appreciate you coming out and hope to maybe give you something, especially if you were in church yesterday. That means you had three ups yesterday, and then you came back for more tonight. So if you get tired, go ahead and go to sleep, and then while you're sleeping, we'll talk about you. When you wake up, the service will still be going because I usually don't go in pretty much um, not more than about two hours, so not much more than your normal movie, but without any station breaks or anything in between, no advertisement. It's I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I... I felt all of a sudden a cold chill kind of come across things here. Why don't you take your Bible, if you would, please, and let's jump right in. There's a passage, and I'm going to be in, in Mark chapter number 5. One of the things that often happens in our Bibles is we make our Bible reading a little bit too complex. Uh, the Bible is written in simplistic form. You know, I spend time, both the Old and the New Testaments, but oftentimes the simplicity of the story can veil or prevent you from being able to see some real deep doctrinal truths. Mark chapter number 5 is one of my favorite passages there. One you'll see is he'll have power there over a storm there at the beginning of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter number 5, he runs into a devil-possessed man. So he was part of an independent Baptist church there. And then he comes over to a diseased woman, and she's got her own problems. I mean, I don't really know of women that don't have issues, but but at any rate, he ran into that. See how practical the Bible is? I mean... It doesn't say that she was in menopause or anything like that. just said she had issues. My wife's at home and she's not watching, so I'm not worried. Some of you men are like all of a sudden, it's the straightest face you've been all night. But you know what I'm talking about. You know how menopause can go if you're not old enough to have experienced that? Well, God bless you. Your day is coming. You will think you are in the tribulation. You say, why? She'll, you'll come home. You won't know who it is that's home there with you. It's like, which one of you is sitting there? And then she'll look at you and she'll say to you, you know, I feel sometimes like I'm out of my body. Do you know how that feels? I say, no, call me when you get back in there and I'll do my best to help you. I don't. So I'm, I'm not picking on you. I have a wonderful wife. She's been with me for 42 years, if you can imagine that. After about three days here, you will know that it is time for a resurrection and for you to pray for my wife because she has to put up with me all the time. But then there's a third part in this story that you see there in Mark chapter number 5, and that's a little girl who is sick unto death, and then she winds up dying. Now, here's what's interesting. The story I'm going to tell you about tonight is about the woman that has issues And she had those issues for 12 years. The little girl at the end of the story, which is where most people tend to gravitate to, it'll all tend to be the man at the beginning of the story. We'll talk about him in a minute, the devil-possessed man. And then it'll tend to run over to the little girl because we generally, because of how we are, we like children. And so as a result, we think, what a terrible thing. But think about this for a minute. That little girl was 12 years of age and she had just gotten sick. The woman we're going to talk about had been sick for 12 years. I've been a pastor for a little bit of time now, about 32 years or so. I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I was drugged, raised on drugs, and had people that drugged me all the time, not with hypodermic needles. They drugged me to church in the morning, drugged me to church in the afternoon, drugged me to revival meetings, drugged me to special meetings and all that and, and those kind of things. So I've been around church a long time. You know what I've learned about church people? 
I've learned that church people have the same problems that other people have. I've learned that church people have the same difficulties that church people have. I've learned that church people, though, are better at hiding their problems from other people than other people are. I've learned oftentimes that church people are sitting there hemorrhaging like this woman is, bleeding to death. But on the outside, in the South, we have kind of famous words. On the outside, you know, you ask them, how are you doing? You know what they'll say to you every time? You know what they'll say? Fine. How you fine? That's their way of saying, don't ask me again, I'll put a fork in your eye. (laughs) It's you're asking me questions and I don't want to answer you. Because we have a way, don't we, of kind of that pride veils it or some things that just ain't everybody else's business. And we have a way of kind of veiling how we really feel about things. But you know what I know? I know oftentimes you can't tell what's going on inside somebody by just how things look on the outside. I mean, I've had people sitting in my church and other churches that were ready to go out and kill themselves. I've had people that are going through divorces that are sitting there, people with prodigal children, people in financial ruin. I mean, every kind of problem in the world. But if you look at them, you know what you'd say? How are you? Fine. Fine. Doing fine. I'm fine. Everything's good. God's good, isn't he? Yeah, but do you feel like he's good all the time? Well, he is good all the time. Look, I know we say that, but sometimes you go through certain things. Look, before I get to my passage tonight, if you would, just look there to be the last part of Mark chapter 4. And let me just make this statement to you real quick. Because I find oftentimes in churches, and especially in the South, I find oftentimes that we think every storm we're in is because we did something wrong. We, we're, we're pretty good about being responsible and we have a tendency to believe what the Bible says if we confess our sins after salvation, we confess our sins, He's faithful and just forgive us our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and, and, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is that right? We believe that, right? Not for salvation. You confess Jesus Christ for salvation, but you go to Him to confess your sins, right? But then don't we have a tendency to remember it and want to pay for Him? And then a storm comes in our life. Well, you know, that's i done something a long time ago and I'm still having to pay the price. And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? It's already over with. Sometimes you bear the repercussions for it, but sometimes we don't believe the Bible like we say we believe the Bible. And so all of a sudden a storm comes and the first thing we have a tendency to do is say, what did I do wrong? Well, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but sometimes storms are for the purpose of correction. That's true. We know that happened with Jonah. But sometimes they're for the purpose of just having somebody to be directed from where they were headed to where they, where the Lord wanted to use them for a while. Like the Apostle Paul when he was on his way over to Rome. That storm wasn't caused by anything Paul did. Can I say this to you? I'm not going to preach on storms tonight, but can I say this to you? That oftentimes storms come along as collateral damage because of what somebody else did. You're not always the victim in the storm. Sometimes you're just collateral damage. Somebody else messed up. Somebody else was driving the car. Somebody else did something they shouldn't have done. And as a result of their actions, you wind up getting caught up in the shipwreck in life. But it's not your fault, but it is your opportunity. The Apostle Paul was able to help a number of individuals that were there in order to fix them. Now, I realize too, storms sometimes are for the purpose of perfecting us. I realize that at times the Lord lets people like Peter go through certain things and then he gets out there in the fishing boat and the Lord calls him to the shore there. And when he gets to the shore, he asks Peter those three questions, those searching questions that says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter, the last time, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you ever think about that? 
Have you ever pause to ponder and say, what is the these in the passage? It can't be apostles or he wouldn't have written to Paul and say, uh, comparing yourselves among yourselves and measuring yourselves by yourselves is not wise. So we can't say, do you love me more than these? Or he would be condoning Peter when he compared himself before he denied the Lord. Lord, though all others forsake thee, yet will not I. It can't be the people that are there. It has to be that pile of dead fish. Peter, do you love me more than these fish right here? Well, what do you mean, Lord? Well, you know, when I told these fish to jump in your net and die for my cause in order to feed other people, they did what I told them to do. Will you do that, Peter? Do you love me more than these? You know that passage in John 21? If you read that in my Bible, it's on the left-hand page, left-hand column. You know what that Bible says? He spake of how Peter should die. He said, you know what, Peter? You're right. I know you love me. You say, why? When you were young, you wouldn't go where I wanted you to go. But when you're old, they're going to carry you. And they wound up and nailing him to the cross, as legend has that. Here's what I want to say to you is sometimes your storms are on the behalf of other people. Are you looking there at your Bible there, your living Bible? I'm sure it is. That would be King James. That was funny. No, my, my wife tells me all the time, honey, you're just not funny. Accept it. I must not be. She said, I said, but they laughed. She goes, after you explained it, that's called a pity laugh. They're just laughing because they feel sorry for you. You see the passage there in Mark chapter number 4? This is the famous passage where the apostles of the Lord's asleep there on the, in the back of the ship there in the midst of the storm, which reminds me to say if you stay awake in prayer meeting, you'll be able to sleep in the storm. But you know what he says to them? He says, Lord, cares not that we perish. And you know, they're out there and a bunch of other little ships are there. And then the Lord causes peace be still and so on and so forth. You know what? If you're not careful, you'll let that chapter break there when it goes from Mark 4 to Mark 5. You know what you'll let that chapter break do? You'll miss the purpose of the storm. The purpose of the storm wasn't so the Lord could show the apostles another miracle. There was a guy sitting up there, naked as the day he was born, with slash marks all over him. He tried to cut himself and kill himself, and he had probably a long beard, and he's sitting up there like a gargoyle perched on some kind of an old architectural building there back in the 17, 1800s. And he's up there in a crevice of that thing looking down over that sea, and he's watching that storm, and he's laughing and giggling to himself as those apostles are out there and other ships, they're, they're straining in the wind, and they're scared, and he can hear above the house of the wind, you know what he can hear? He can hear him scared to death and screaming, but he heard something different that night. All of a sudden, an old fellow gets up out of the bottom of the ship there, and he stretches out and stands up on the gunnels of that boat, and he says to the wind, lay down. And he said to the lightning, stop it. And he said to the thunder, quit rolling. And all of a sudden, boy, I mean like you were painting, the chandeliers of heaven began to turn on and the stars began to pop out and the moon began to come out. That water laid down like a mirror and the Lord sitting out there almost like a light shining right out there, right to the shores of Gadarene, just light dancing off of that water from that moon out there reflecting that sun. And he says, put your oars in the water, boy, and you can hear the slap of those oars hitting that water. And then all of a sudden, Peter says, Man, where are we going? And the Lord said, we're going where the storm was taking us. Well, Lord, I mean, you've done the miracle of the storm. Now we need to get on about business. The Lord said, that's what we're going to do. We're getting about business. They slide up there on the shores of Gadarene. They know what's there. They know who's there. They know the person that's there. And what happens that all of a sudden out of that precipice right there, here comes this man, naked man, running toward the Lord, man, screaming and howling and hollering. The Bible said they were all afraid of him. They were scared of him. The women and children wouldn't have anything to do with him. He's broken fetters and chains. He's got supernatural strength and he's running right at the Lord. 
and he takes off there and the Lord just stands his ground. If I could paint, I'd have the apostles there trying to get back in the boat, trying to get back out of the way, thinking, man, we better get out of here. That guy's crazy, man. He's going to hurt somebody. I'd even have Peter backing up. I'd have the Lord standing right there just holding his ground and have that guy run right up there with that sulfuric breath just howling and breathing an old burnout teeth and stuff down there looking at him. I'd have him standing there and the Lord say, what's your name? Sometimes storms in your life are for the benefit of other people that are watching. I realize that's a hard lesson to learn. The greatest storm that ever happened in the United States of America and in the entire world, no matter where you want to put a map or put a pin in it, happened on Calvary and the Lord endured a storm. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in sitting down they watched him there. You know what people are still doing today? They're watching him. What did he do? He died for you. And so guess what happens? The Lord comes up there, and let me say this about it. The Lord's dealing with a devil-possessed man, but he doesn't deal with him arbitrarily. He doesn't just cast out the devil and get into the pigs and so on and so forth and run them off into the thing. He wants to know something. I like this because he's personal. I like the personal work of the Savior. When I got saved, I got saved personally. I didn't get saved corporately. I didn't get saved, you know, he loves the world. No, he loves me. He loves me. When I came to Calvary, ladies and gentlemen, I came to Calvary as me, a person. I needed to be saved, not the world to be saved. I know he died for the world, but he died for me. And so when he comes up there, you know what he says to him? He said, what's your name? Now, let me ask you a question. This is a deity question. This is a Bible school question. This requires you to kind of dig deep. We all believe that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, don't we? You have to, you got to believe that, right? You can't believe that he's an imposter. Otherwise, the Bible says you're demon-possessed and you're another spirit. You know, what do we believe? We believe, well, if he's God manifest in the flesh, doesn't he know who the guy is? Well, the question then is a question that he's asking that has a sort of a rhetorical answer to it. The question is being asked not because the Lord doesn't know who the demon-possessed man is. He's asking the question to see if the man knows what his problem is. Let me give you an example. You remember the fellow by the name of Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus is over there sitting by the highway side begging and so on and so forth and he comes walking by and he hollers out to him and the people try to shut him up and then he hollers louder and the Lord said, bring Bartimaeus. Remember that? That'll be in uh, Mark uh, 10, I guess. And then he comes up there and he kneels down there in front of him and when he's right there in front of him, you know what he does? He says to him, he said, what wouldst that I should do for thee? Well, guess what? There's a lot in a name. You know what his name is? Blind Bartimaeus. That's what his name was. So everybody else knew what the problem was, but oftentimes the Lord will ask you a question, not because he doesn't know, but he wants to know if you know. Remember in the garden when he comes up there? He knows Adam and Eve have sinned. He knows Adam and Eve have messed up. He knows they're covered up in the bushes over there and hiding with the fig leaves and uh, of their own righteousness and all that kind of stuff. He understands all that stuff. But you know what he does? He says to Adam, where are you? Sometimes the Lord asks questions for your benefit. What He might do these next few days is He might come to you and He might ask you, where are you? He might ask you, what do you need? He might say to you, what is your name? Who are you known by? When He's dealing with Jake over in the cornfield over there, He said, what's your name? And He says, well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a liar and I'm a cheater and I'm a surplanter and I'm a, I'm no good thief and I stole my birthright and, The Lord said, good, now we're getting somewhere. You don't think God knew that? 
Sure, he knew that. But isn't it funny sometimes how we're slow to admit who we really are? You know why oftentimes, ladies and gentlemen, I mean no disrespect. I realize for some of you I'm probably a little young, but I'm bumping 70 now. I'm getting up a little bit, so I don't mean any disrespect. But I find there are a lot of reasons that we don't make good time with the Lord or don't get a lot of things done with the Lord is we will just never come to Him and take off our mask and say, Lord, it's me, and tell Him who we are. Tell Him what He already knows us to be. I think we come to him on a regular basis thinking we have him fooled. But that's another message. I don't mean to try to put you under conviction. I know you've got problems and difficulties. But the Lord's not a, not, he doesn't take a shine to people that lie to him all the time. Uh, how are you doing? You say to the Lord. The Lord says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, Lord, I'm fine. Really? Well, then what are you griping about? What are you grumbling about? Why are you murmuring and complaining? Why are you all the time uh, caught up in gossip and all those other kind of things? I mean, if you're fine, you've got so much time on your hand, you can talk about other people. If you're fine, why are you talking about other people? Why don't you talk about how good God is? Wouldn't that be a blessing to talk about God as opposed to talking about the newscast? The newscast. What a joke, man. Most people must think there's more prophecy in the newscast than there is in the Bible. They spend more time with it than they do the Bible. Again, I'm not trying to put you under conviction or anything like that, but you know, you have a tendency to spend time with what you love and what you care about. You read the Bible, you don't get all spun up like, spun up like you do when you, when you watch the news all the time. Well, we better hurry. I'm on devil possession right now. I better get off of that right now. I kind of feel like I might have stepped off into something there. But I, I want to say something, and here, here's what happens. The Bible says that after he gets done, you know, what happens, that boy, he gets himself fixed up. And when he gets fixed up, and this is all I'm going to say on this, the Bible said he is seated and clothed and in his right mind. Maybe he had ADD, maybe he had ADHD, and maybe he was ADD, ADHD on steroids. I don't, I don't have any idea. I know he was devil-possessed. I know he couldn't be still. I know he was just running all over the place to and fro and screaming and hollering out of control and, and motions out of control, just stirred up all the time about anything. I mean, just, just always stirred up. But when he met Jesus, all of a sudden, you know what you find him? You find him clothing himself, and you find him sitting down, and you find him in his right mind. You know what that reminds me to say is sometimes people think that once I get saved, I'm supposed to immediately get out and start doing something. Can I help you with something here? I don't know your pastor very well yet, but we seem to have a kindred spirit over lunchtime today and talking about things. But you know what happens is oftentimes, instead of people doing like Mary and just sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning some things, they're in such a hurry to get out and do something. And the next thing you know, they miss God because they get so busy, they don't get indoctrinated and don't get their roots down deep in the ground. I've dealt with plants before, and some of them will grow pretty good when you get them started, you know, get them in their little pots and get the starters going, and they get a root on them about that long, and then you get on out a little bit, and you step them up to a one gallon, you know, and then you get them going. But you know what I know? I know if I can get them past one gallon, step them up to a three gallon, I know if I put that thing in the ground, it'll grow better in the ground than it will in the pot. You know what I know about Christians? Sometimes they never get out of the pot. They never put their roots down. They run around the pot in a wheelbarrow all the time. Now, it's probably not true up here in this part of Carolina, but the places I've preached in Carolina, it's like you're all the time dealing with people in a wheelbarrow. They go from here to here to here to here. I mean, there's so many churches on every corner. You could sling a dead cat and hit five of them at one time. I was raised in the South. You know, I'm telling the truth. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's true. I was raised in the South. I mean, we had splinter after splinter after split after split after splinter after splinter. You know why? They done moved Mama's uh, graveyard over there. They done moved her. 
Okay, why'd they move her? Well, they said the property line was there, but they done dug her up and moved her. I ain't ever going back to that church again. Well, ain't she in heaven right now? No, she's right there. Oh, you one of them soul sleepers, are you? (laughs) She ain't there, man. She's risen. She's already gone on with the Lord. That's just what's remaining of her. Yeah, well, I ain't get, no, that ain't, that ain't why you ain't going to that church. You ain't going to that church because you're a two-bit heathen. That's why you ain't going to that church. You ain't going because they moved grandmama's grave. I know Southerners. I know how we get sometimes, get something stuck in our crawls, what we call it, and then we make it a family matter instead of a biblical issue and use what you are. I can tell you what the problem is. You never put your roots down. You're still in the pot. I didn't say smoking pot. I was in Colorado a few weeks ago preaching out there, man. They've got gummy bear machines out there, and the gummy bears have THC, in it. that's dope. And the kids eating gummy bears all the time. They said they're having a problem now because the kids are coming to school and they're so high they don't learn anything. Great going, state of Colorado. Great going, governor of Colorado. Just keep the keep pumping it out there. You think you put it in a vending machine, the kids are not going to get somebody to get it out of the vending machine for them? Anyway, sorry, I got political there for just a second. We better move on to something else. I'm not feeling the love very much. You're not throwing the ball back. If you throw the ball back, it goes a whole lot faster. You ever dealt with a plugged up toilet? That's not one you like to use. You like them that when you hit it, it's gone away, right? And then you don't mind you. So see, when you throw it back, it's kind of like that. It's just kind of flushing, kind of let that one go on. And then we, we get moving on through things a little bit. Let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. I've already been in the Bible enough. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, and she may be healed, and she shall live. Jesus went with him, and many people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things, many physicians, and had spent all that she had, nothing better but rather grew worse, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be made whole. Heavenly Father, would you help us for just a few minutes here this evening? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I don't know, I'm a Bible believer and I study the Bible and I've read some of the other commentaries and commentators and all this and nobody has yet to come up with a name for this woman. Do you find that odd? Do you not think the Lord knows who it is? He knows who He healed, doesn't He? But you know what He does? It's called by an author, it's called anonymity. What that means is, is that the Lord intentionally left her name out. Do you know why He left her name out? So that when you're reading the Bible and when you're starting to go through difficulties and problems that are similar to what this woman's going through, you can pin your name in that place right there and you can be that certain woman. You can be that certain person that's going through the trouble. That's an author that chose to do that so you can include yourself in the text. That's how the Bible's written. The Bible's written so that any problem that you have, you can find somebody in the Bible that's used as an illustration or an example of problems that you have. You say, I don't have a problem. I'm not a woman. I don't have those kinds of issues and those kinds of things. And you know most likely what that issue is. There's no question she's probably anemic because of that. There's no question she's impure. She's considered that by the law. There's no question she's unclean. If the Bible's right and what's required in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, she's not allowed to be be around people. 
Why, the very place she would sit down would be considered unclean and had to be purified. She wouldn't be allowed to have people in the house. She wouldn't have had any children. She wouldn't have known the love of a husband. She wouldn't have had anything. They would have fed her like she was a leper. If she went anywhere, everybody would know her by her disease. You ever known anybody like that? I remember a fellow down in Alabama one time, big old church, big huge building, a bunch of people gathered around there, a bunch of southerners, corn farmers, cornfield, all that kind of stuff out there, a bunch of farmers and cotton and corn and uh, soybeans and stuff, and they come in there and then filling up the place there. We walk in, walk down a big old aisle down the side over here, and I'm saying hello to people. That's what you do, I suppose, in the south, you know, at least you did back in those days. Nowadays, people don't want to talk to you, they want to text you. I'm going to go ahead and get on your toes a little bit just in case I have to go home because of a hurricane. <laughs> but you, 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 you're literally sitting next to each other sending texts. How about looking at somebody eyeball to eyeball, face to face? I just, thank you, preacher. I'm glad you came tonight. Ain't nobody else feeling love tonight. But, but you know what's happening? You got addicted to those advi- uh, devices. How are you going to meet somebody and marry them? You're going to text each other at nighttime and say, good night, baby. Yeah, good night, baby. Yeah, I love you, baby. Yeah, I love you too, baby. <laughs> Ain't going to be no babies. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's not too tough for you, is it? That's ridiculous. Honey, is the coffee ready? I don't know. I'm trying to get there. Well, did you fix the coffee pot? Well, I didn't fix the coffee Well, why didn't you fix the emoji, emoji, picture, 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 all that other kind of stuff, you know? And then get out there and the thing, like this family that's next to me. Now, listen, I'm pushing a little bit, you know, but these people could had to be in their mid-70s, and they're sitting in the plane across from me, and they're sitting over there taking pictures of themselves and making a movie of themselves sitting on an airplane. And I thought, you know something is pitiful? You must not be able to see yourself in that thing, or you don't have a mirror, or you hadn't got any friends. You got so many wrinkles on your face, you look like a prune, man. And you haven't got half the teeth in your head you're supposed to have. And you think you're a movie star. I mean, they're up there smiling, they're talking, and she's flipping her hair around like this. And I'm thinking, Lord God, lady, you keep flipping around like that, you're going to flip that wig off your head. And I thought, what has the world come to, man? You can't talk to somebody. Hello, how are you? Shake their hand. They don't look at you anymore. They're, they're texting and stuff. Well, this woman right here, you know what happened? There, she's not on TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat. She's not on Flakebook. Social media. You know, I think what's worse than seeing an elderly woman in a miniskirt is an elderly woman playing on Facebook like she was a kid again. I mean to be offensive. That's disgusting to see a grandma playing like she's a teenager. You, you ever seen a, a woman that she's, she's on up there in age, you know, and uh, all of a sudden a Coke bottle looks like a mayonnaise jar? You ever been around anybody like that? <laughs> that happens when hormones come along. Gravity begins to take place and the old fence looks like a mudslide. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's got on these gym britches or something. You're thinking, that poor old woman, she can't have friends or a mirror. There's no way she can think she looks nice like that. With their underclothes on the outside. I've got to get off of that right there. I just don't understand that stuff. But you know what I began to realize? I began to recognize this woman's got a problem and everybody knows her by her issue. We over there in Alabama and the fellow sitting right down here, he was pretty well marked up. He was skinned up a little bit. I mean, he had tats on him, what they call sleeves, and you could tell where he'd had some holes in his ears and stuff like that. I mean, you know, the way you paint sinners, that's how he was. He's just an old sinner down there, just an old jailbird, made him trouble, problems and stuff like that. Half the teeth burned out of his head from meth and stuff. That's, you know, that's how I paint sinners. And he'd come down there and the preacher brings me over. He says, I want you to meet this fellow. I want you to meet this fellow. And I said, okay. And we got right in front of him. You know what he said? Right in front of the guy. You know what he said? He said, that's our resident drug addict. 
And I looked at the guy, man, a little eight-year-old boy sitting right beside him. And the little boy looked up, kind of looked kind of funny like that. And he said, ain't that something? Here's a policeman and a drug addict <laughs> in the same building. <laughs> man, I've never been so embarrassed in all my life, man. I mean, I was ashamed, man. And the preacher walked off to take care of something like that. Big old church, man. I, I, never, I never in my life felt so much like slapping somebody except the pedophile in my life, man. I just, I thought, how rude. So I squatted down there next to the fellow, got on one knee there and stuck my hand out there and said, hey, man, I don't know what all that's about. And he said, ah, don't worry about it, preacher. He said, that's just how they know me around here. He says, you know, I grew up around here. And I said, you did? I said, well... Since you brought it up, I just asked you a question if I could. I said, how long have you been clean? He said, I just got past 10 years, preacher. I said, 10 years? He said, yes, sir, 10 years. He said, I ain't had a drop. I ain't had no drugs. I work a job and I'm raising my boy. He said, my family busted up back yonder a long time ago. I said, well, now, wait a minute. That happened over 10 years ago? He said, yeah. I said, so your boy don't know nothing about that? He said, no, sir. I sure wish these folks would hush up about it. I really don't want him knowing what his daddy used to be. People known by their faults and by their diseases. I mean, isn't that how you know people? Don't you describe them by the thing you don't like about them? You don't call them brother and sister. You call them by their disease. You know, like big mouth and long tongue and bitter, gripey old bat (laughs) and those kind of things. It's funny how we name stick though, don't they? fellow said to me one time, and he said, you know, you've done this and done that and been here and been there and seen some things and this and that and the other. I said a few things. He said, well, you ought to know that words don't hurt. I said, words hurt more than outer wounds. Yeah. And I said, and there's some sicknesses and diseases that you can't see on the outside that are worse than physical problems. People would trade their psychological problems for physical problems any day. Could I please get an amen? Could you say amen to that? I mean, sometimes there's more pain going on between your ears than going on there. I'll give you an example. You got a wayward daughter. You got a wayward son. You got a divorce in your life. You got a bad disease you're struggling with right now. That's between your ears. Don't tell me that stuff is not, that stuff will keep you up at night. You can take a painkiller to help you with a broken leg, but some of them kind of things, you can't take enough stuff to get away from it. You go to bed with it and you wake up with it, man. Your heart's broken, snap like a twig under a giant's heel, man. I mean, tore all to pieces all the time. You say, why? Uh, how are you on the outside? Fine. But boy, on the inside, you're hemorrhaging, aren't you? It's like in real estate. You know, you got to be careful, especially nowadays. The real estate market for a while there went absolutely insane people were doing and they say you got to get up all the curb appeal so they cut the grass and trim the bushes and throw a little paint on the house and things like that and you drive by that house and they say boy that's got great curb appeal yeah but you know what you may go inside that house and it may be a rat trap you know what I know about a lot of lives right now I don't care how big or how small the crowd is I'm preaching to you know what I know a lot of them have great curb appeal but boy on the inside if you knew what was going on behind closed doors man I mean when the door gets shut they're throwing stuff at each other and yelling and screaming at each other and threatening each other and kids are in there scared slapped to death and panicking and petrified and not enough money to pay the bills but on the outside the curb appeal looks good that's Christianity today and our people are falling apart, but they got good curb appeal. They know how to put on the face and how to make it look good. I mean, in the South, I'm for the South. I love the South. Don't misunderstand me. I ain't living north of the Mason. Uh, uh, Lord, uh, unless you send me, but I'd prefer to stay where I am. I'm not moving north up there. 
I'll go up there and preach. I'm coming back to the South. But Southerners, we're bad about it. We're bad about it. I got it. I got it. I can handle it. I can handle it. Well, it got where she couldn't handle it. You know what she wound up doing, man? She wound up thinking, man, you know something? I'm having so many problems that if I don't get some help, I'm just flat out going to die. You ever been in that place? You ever been to the point where I'm not talking about her being suicidal? We'll talk about that maybe later in the week. I'm not talking about it. That affects Christians, by the way. Did you know that? I've buried many a Christian that's killed themselves. You say, well, they must not have been really been saved. Can I say with all due respect, you're a fool to believe that. You know what Elijah said? It's enough, Lord, let me die. You know what Jonah said? Be better if I'd have gone out with the afterbirth. You know what Moses said? Blot me out. You know what Paul said? I'd just soon be cursed. Don't tell me people don't go through trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, don't tell me you don't have trouble. I don't care if you're a big man with 12 foot wide shoulders and can deadlift 700 pounds and bench 400 pounds. Buddy, when it comes to that inside stuff in there, the outside don't help. Physical strength don't help you deal with that. I mean, that stuff can make you shake and make you tremble and get you all cattywampus and upset, man, and make you weak and feeble in the knees and you can't go on, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't go to the bathroom. You say, well, that's her. Dressed up on the outside and bleeding to death on the inside. Just burdened and laid down with her heavy problems that were on her. And so she heard there's Jesus. What did she do? Well, I'll give her this much. She had it, must have had a little bit of money. You know what she did? She went and saw the doctor. Now, I, I look, I know, I know how all the stuff goes about doctors, but I, you know, you got WebMD now. People go to the doctor now and tell the doctor how to be the doctor. It's the most insane thing in the world. I do not go to the plumber and tell him how to fix the plumbing. I would have fixed it if I knew how to fix it. That's why I called the plumber. I don't stand there and look in that hole and say, now, you know what, I think it's a main Ferengator rod, and I believe if you just do that and get you a little PVC glue, you can just stick that on there and write that. I'd have that plumber turn around. You know, he's already been smiling at you while he's been there in a the hole, and he turned around and he looks at you this way. He says, you want to fix it? I don't go to the mechanic and tell the mechanic how to fix my car. I said, the Dumaflachi, flip a bob, whatever it might be, it's making a weird noise, and I don't know what it is. And I pull in there, and I pay the guy to do that. But boy, when it comes to getting help and medicine, you walk into the doctor's office, well, doctor, here's what the problem is. Okay, why don't you self-diagnose and take you some tea leaves and some peroxide and some bleach or whatever it might be, get you a little baking soda, throw it around, stand on your head, flip it over your shoulder, say a few words, and <laughs> you'll be good to go. I know the stuff works. But I don't know enough about it to try to be an expert in it. That's funny how that is in church. It's probably not that way here, preacher. I don't, I'm, I'm sure it's not that way. You've been here enough years now. They, they probably don't have a problem. It's interesting to me. They don't go to work and tell the boss what to do. Or they don't work there long. Amen. And they don't go other places and tell them what to do or how to handle things, especially when it comes to heart surgery or brain surgery. But it's interesting how many experts there are in the church that know how to be a pastor. Never been called to be a pastor, never been a pastor, but they, they know, they know how it ought to be run. Thank you for whoever that was. <laughs> they don't know the pressures of it. They don't know the difficulties of it. They don't have any experience at it. We had a big, uh, uh, situation that we had to do one time, an operation that we had to do, a hostage thing and all that kind of stuff. And we had a bunch of guys that were getting there and I'm getting my big, the big, I called them the big boys. It's the SWAT guys getting there and getting ready to set up on things. And this little old green wet behind the ears rookie comes up there and, oh, Captain, I believe you ought to do this. I believe you come. I don't believe you know what I said. Can I ask you just one question? He said, yes, sir. And I said, uh, have you ever dealt with this before? Well, no, sir. I said, 
Have you had the training? These guys come and they train all the time. You, you had the training? No, sir. I said, how'd you learn everything you just told me? He said, I watched it on TV. <laughs> I said, that don't work in real life, son. I said, now you go on to the far corner over there and set the perimeter like I told you. You ain't ready to do this kind of stuff. You know what I find? I find people walk into our churches. They think they got the answer to everybody's problem, including the preachers. But they wouldn't bear the burden of being a pastor. I told a fellow not long ago, he was pretty much in a snit over the things, and I said, I tell you what I believe you ought to do. Pastor sitting right there. I said, I believe you ought to go start a church. And he said, what? And I said, I believe you ought to go start a church. He said, you're telling me to go start a church? I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, if I was you, I'd start Sunday. He said, how in the world would I start a church Sunday? I said, go home on Saturday night, get you a message to preach, and then get up Sunday morning and put on your suit and go stand in front of a full-length mirror, and you'll be the world's greatest pastor preaching to the world's greatest congregation. He said, that ain't funny. I said, well, that's what you're expecting this old man to do. You think you know more than him? He's been at it for 25 years, and you're in here upset because he ain't doing it how you think it ought to be done. I said, how about how long you and your wife been married? And he said, 17 years. I said, okay, how about if I come in and tell you how to run your house? That's different. It is, is it? I kind of put a chill on the meeting there, didn't I? Well, let's get back to the girl. I guess we've got to move on from that kind of stuff. You say what? I know you Southerners. I ain't going over if he's going to do that. Sometimes you don't know what Moses is doing. He's just doing it to try your faith out, see whether or not you're going to be faithful. You ever notice sometimes God does things you don't like? You ever notice that God doesn't work it out the way you want it worked out? Does that ever happen? You mean God's always answered your prayer? I need to give you my prayer sheet, man. You mean God's always answered your prayers the way you want them answered? Never has for me. I mean, get one through every now and then and he answers it the way you want it done. But more times than not, it's kind of like, you don't even know what you're asking, boy. This woman, she comes along there. You know what she did? She went to the doctor and she saw every doctor, the ceremonial doctors and religious doctors and the naturopaths. And she went and saw the surgeons. She went and saw the latest of the greatest and the people that had everything it was. The Bible said she sought uh, uh, help from many physicians and found none and was no better. I mean, no better, but worse. And on top of that, she spent everything she had. Twelve years she'd been looking for a cure. Twelve years, man. I mean, she couldn't have been a typical Bible-believing Christian. You say, what? They give up after 12 days or sometimes 12 hours. Preacher, I've been fasting 12 hours, man. <laughs> You've been sleeping 10 of the 12. Hell, I can't take it no more, preacher. I've just, I've just decided it's just that, that I got my answer. He just said no. 12 hours, man. Come on. 12 years. She's been holding on to something that's making her bleed. I talked with an elderly woman, but... Well, I won't say where, but I'll say uh, you not far from where we are. I will say it's in the south, and I will say that it kind of tends to lean over toward the northern part of Georgia. But at any rate, it's kind of close to the state. starts with an A. But at any rate, <laughs> I'm over there. She sat down right on the front row down there. She said, and I talked to you. I said, yes, ma'am. Alabama, old farmer's uh, wife. And I said, yes, ma'am. She says, how would you know I've been bleeding? I said, I not I don't, I don't know that. She says, I don't mean physically. She said, you know what Jed done to me? I said, ma'am, I don't even know Jed. The only Jed I know is a guy that was at the Clampets on the Beverly Hillbillies. I don't know Jed. She said, Jed done something to me. You know, he cheated on me. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm very sorry to hear. She's serious, boy, is a sack full of rattlesnakes. 
I said, no, ma'am, I, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. I said, I said, was that recent? And she said, Lord, no, son. She said, that's been probably 40 years ago. And I've been bleeding ever since. Yeah. You know what happens when you're bleeding? You get anemic. You know what happens? You get weak. You know what happens? It gives you the wrong view of other people. I said, well, ma'am, I'll be glad to pray with you, but I can't stop the bleeding. You're going to have to let the great physician take that from you. I said, where's Jed now? She said, he's out yonder. And I said, he's out there? She goes, yeah, he's out yonder. I said, well, did you want to get him and bring him in here? She said, Lord, no, he's been dead for 10 years. (laughs) And you're still bleeding? Some of you still got some things down there, don't you? Some of you still got some things that are causing you to hemorrhage, don't you? It's making you weak, isn't it? You know what happened? She came to the end of herself, and you know what she said? Well, this is the end of it. I'm going to die if I don't get some help. Somebody, I don't know who, door knocker, somebody came by, left a flyer, sent out a mail, I don't know, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat or something, I don't know. (laughs) She heard Jesus was in town. And they said, you should go see Jesus. She said, I ain't got no money. She's a southern woman. She ain't got no money. She said, that's okay. He doesn't do it for money. Well, you know, can, I, he, can he do a house visit? No, he's just walking home. He'll be walking past the street. He'll be a couple of blocks over here in just a little while. You, you should go down there and see him. If anybody could help you, he could help you. I've seen him do some amazing things. You know what she was? She was so desperate and she wanted so bad to get some help. She was willing to do anything. You know why you're reading about her in that story right there? Because she got up and went. She's not like a lot of us. What happens to us, we get, you know, we get, we get uh, concreted, as the old black preacher said. The old black preacher said, my congregation done concreted. I said, what do you mean you concreted? She told the other preacher, what do you mean concreted? I mean, they done set up on me. They ain't moving. They ain't doing nothing. I've seen that in church after church after church, man. The only song they know is, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are done. I mean, you could give them spiritual x lax It won't make them move at all. Amen. I'm not, that's not too plain for you, is it? I, I'll tell you what. How about castor oil? That's, that's a whole lot better for you. A little castor oil mixed with a little blackstrap molasses. Come on, you older folks. You know now. You're tasting it, ain't you? It's kind of like... Man, I learned real quick. My, my nana cured me from sucking eggs quick, boy. You wind up there and all of a sudden you wind up with a hangnail. She say, castor oil, you know. You come in, you stub your toe out there around the garden, you know. She says, castor oil. You know, you <laughs> you sound sick to me, boy. Castor oil, you need to clean it out. You know, castor oil for, for a hangnail. I mean, she didn't put it on the thing. You drank it. And before long, you didn't go to Nana's and get sick no more. You say, why? I can still taste it right now. I'm about to gag right now thinking that. Always spoonful of castor oil. <laughs> It'd be moving by morning, I'll tell you that right now, boy. <laughs> My Nana say, nothing like a good cleaning out. Do you some good. You know, now you can get when I run along out there and help you, Papa. Yes, ma'am. How are you today? Fine, I feel great. I'm doing really good. I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm wonderful. You know what that Bible said? That Bible says that she was in such a desperate situation. She knew she had done everything she possibly could. She quit trying to help herself. Boy, if I could get Christians to quit trying to help themselves. 
Any of you ever heard that song, ever heard that uh, statement? There's two verses in the Bible that I ain't found them yet. I know they gotta be in there somewhere because I've been hearing them all my life. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that one? That's in Hezekiah 3. You, you're gonna be looking a while for Hezekiah. <laughs> Cleanliness, Lord God, I hope that clock ain't right. Did you set that thing back? You did that to trick me. Folks, if it's 9 o'clock, I need to just let you go. I apologize. I have kept you way too long. <laughs> have mercy. The second verse that's in that thing right there, cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps him that helps themselves. No, he don't. No, he don't. God helps them that say, I surrender. Help me. Peter says, Lord, save me. Guess you wish you'd have took some swimming lessons. I'll help you if you start swimming. No, it don't work like that. That appeals to your pride. You know where the Lord helps? The ones that are disabled, the ones that are misfits, the ones that say, I can't do it on my own. i got to have some help. The Lord said, okay, good. He'll help a devil-possessed man and a woman with issues and a blind man. He'll help individuals that are beyond themselves. But she's come to the end of herself. She's finally said, all right, I'm done. And if Jesus can't help me, then I'm out of here. Twelve years with a disease like that, the timeline on that thing would just about put her to the end of her life. You can't keep going with that kind of stuff. You lose too many minerals and too much potassium and all kind of other things that go on there and that kind of a deal. And you know what she does? I can see her right now in my mind's eye. She's sat over by a rocking chair, got an Afghan sitting over there, hand crocheted herself. She ain't got nothing but time on her hand. She probably knitted some things together and put some pieces together for a quilt. Maybe that's laying over there in the corner. Maybe somebody gave to her, had pity on her. She gets up, man, she's weak, knocked need and all that kind of stuff and frail. And she grabs a hold of that rail and she goes out that old back door that's been there for a while. She leaves it open in the evening time to catch a breeze coming through there. And she opens that door that, you know, that long spring about that long on that thing. That spring comes out like that and opens it up. She figures I'm going to come out. She thinks, oh, man, if I go to get help, people are going to know me and they're going to talk about me. Can I touch something? I'm going to try to hurry here. I'm going to get, I'm going to get you done here. I'm, I'm, I really am not going to preach two hours. I was cutting up with you. Can I help you for just a second? I've often thought how many people would like to get up and come to church and get some help, but they're worried about what the people might say. Jesus has got the cure, don't he? He's helped us. We're here tonight, right? She knows she's got a problem, don't she? But between her and him, there's some people. I don't know, maybe they're politicians. You know, if you don't vote this way, you ain't saved, you know. If you don't vote like this and you ain't this and that and the other, get all that politics in there. Sometimes it's prejudice. I like to paint her sometimes. I know she's not, but I like to paint her sometimes. I like to paint her like that old woman that came out there to the well. You know, have her maybe have a lime green mohawk. Not enough clothes to make a pair of breeches for a blue jay. Looked like she lost a fight with a nail gun, you know, and got all kind of chains and stuff hanging all over her. And then have uh, tats like she'd been in a paint booth for a car and the gun got away from her. Just have her all covered up. I mean, that's how you paint sinners, ain't it? She comes out there in the middle of the day when only the bad people come out there. You say, who was out there at the well? The one that could help her. 
My goodness, if you've ever seen somebody that was uh, a woman of ill repute, that woman had five husbands and ain't none of them hers. You talk about a homewrecker. And then, by the boys, the only time they knew her was at nighttime when the rats and the roaches come out. In daytime, them dignified people didn't know her, but boy, at nighttime, they sure did know her. She wouldn't have had five, five husbands if not. I see that woman getting up there and thinking, boy, I sure would like to go, but boy, what happens if prejudice gets in the way? You know, they ain't like us. They got a soul, don't they? Funny how we lose our sight for souls by skin color, ain't it? I know I'm in North Carolina. I'm a southerner. I was raised in the 60s. I know about all that, late 50s, 60s. I was around when Martin Luther King got shot. That ain't what I said. I said, it's funny how we kind of decide who can get help and who can't get help, ain't it? I know y'all done with me now. Well, turn him off, boy. (laughs) Well, the Lord ain't done. I wondered if that would have kept her from coming. Do you realize she's impure? If she gets around anybody, they're unclean too. They don't want her around. Everybody talking about her. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you know what they're saying about her? She's a sinner. She's got to be a sinner. She wouldn't have had that disease 12 years. Lord had healed her. I mean, I had a cold the other day. Prayed Jesus took that thing right away from me, man. I mean, I'm so right with God, boy. I mean, somebody gets sick, I pray for them. They just get my shadow passing by. They get well, man. I mean, you know, that girl, her problem is she's a sinner. God's punishing her. Ain't that what we do sometimes when people are under difficulty and problem? Don't we sometimes have a tendency to say, well, you reap what you sow, you know? Well, it don't really work out too good, ladies and gentlemen, when that's your kid laying there in the hospital bed. That's your kid that wrapped himself around a telephone pole. That's your kid that got shot up in a drug deal. That's your kid that they've popped three times with Narcan to try to bring them back around. That's your kid swinging from a rope up there in the top of the oak tree out there about 12 years of age. That's, that's your kid. And, and then all of a sudden, we, uh, you're going to change that? Well, you know, reap what you sow. You know, bad parents, you know. Boy, you're quick to jump on that. You know what that woman does? That woman comes in there and she says, well, you know what? I don't care what people say. I need help. I don't care if they're prejudiced. I don't care if they're political. I don't care if they're power hungry. I need help. I don't care. And you know what she does? The Bible says she's moving out there. I can see her coming down the steps off her back porch, slipping down through the pathway there around the little daisies, butterflies, flitting there on the daisies, just touching literally just the tops of those daisies. And she comes down through that thing and she's trying to hide. She's got her shawl pulled up around the top of her head and she's seeing the crowd moving over there and she's wondering how she can figure out where she can make an intersection. She's so weak and emaciated. and She's beginning to shake and to tremble now and she begins to move in that direction like that and, and then all of a sudden she sees him and, boy, I wish I could paint, boy. I'd have that little old woman reach her hand out there and I'd have old gossip and tongue step on her. I'd have a slanderous spirit step on her. I'd have some dignified Pharisee step on her. I'd have that hand just, just, just battered and bruised, just trying to get to Jesus, but... People just kept stepping on her, knocking that hand out of the way. And If I could paint, I'd have her down there on her knees and she's at the end of everything. Her energy is out and all that. The people are gathered around her. They're not paying any attention to her at all. She reaches out there and she tags the hem of his garment. And the Lord stops. All them other people around there couldn't stop him, but one that truly needed help 
didn't even touch him, but touched him by touching his garment. Aren't you glad that you got a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities? You know what he does? He turns around, you know what he does? He looks right at that girl. This is how I paint it. And he says, who touched me? I mean, eyeball to eyeball. You know what that Bible says? She told him everything. Man, I mean, she poured it out. It's in the passage. Read it tonight before you go to bed. You know what she did? She said, I'm unclean, man. I'm hemorrhaging. I'm doing bad. I'm doing terrible. She told him everything, just like the woman at the well did. Told him everything he ever did. The Lord said, he told me everything. She said, I touched you. You know what he did? He said, uh, thy faith hath made thee whole go. You're healed of the plague. And she gets up from there. You say, why? She got to Jesus. But you know what she had to do? She had to put her psychiatric troubles aside and her physical problems aside and her people problems aside and just using them peas there. There's a ton of them you could put in there. I don't know what keeps you from coming to Jesus. I know this, you can't get help if you don't come. I don't believe no Oral Roberts used to say about a 900-foot Jesus coming and standing at the bottom of his bed. I've never known that to happen like that. I know Jesus came by my way when I got saved. I get, I understand all that. I understand it. But can I say this to you? Can I tell you that, ladies and gentlemen, that the reason we don't get help nowadays is because we're just unwilling to come. We just sat down and say, well, Lord, you come to me. We was in a prison one time preaching in a prison meeting. Lord, note I put a bunch of them down there. Enough of them, I should have been down there trying to get them out. And we're down there in a the prison preaching. There's a bunch of women. But it filled up just about maybe the, to where the break is right there, just a pew, about maybe eight pews in there from an old church. Naugahyde, uh, cheap old uh, uh, fake or faux leather on them and that kind of thing. Terraza floor, they just polished off the concrete. Those old girls came in there in those orange pajamas and those shower shoes, man. I mean, you look like they've been hit by a Mack truck. Oh, I mean, just just skin poppers on them, if you know anything about drug addicts and stuff. Just broke out where the needles were and infections all over them. Most of them, they burn out teeth from meth and stuff like that. Look like burnt popcorn out of the bottom of a pan, out of a Jiffy Pop pan, you know, that kind of thing. A lot of them, you know, just, 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 just come in there, slouched down and all. It's, Gets up there and the preacher gets to preaching. He's preaching on the cross and he's talking up there and he would draw. He's drawing the picture of Jesus in the middle and he's in Isaiah 53 and by his stripes were healed. And he'd stop and he'd turn around and he'd say, Ladies, he said, I can introduce you to a man that'll never cheat on you and he'll always take care of you and he'll always love you and you'll always feel safe and you'll always feel secure and he'll always think of you before he thinks of himself. And a black lady in that meeting said, Lord God, I'd like to meet that man. That preacher never missed a beat. He said, if you'll hang around a minute, I'm going to introduce you to him. He'd go back to drawing. He draws for a little while up there and stuff like that and begins to put the thieves on there. And It's so full in there. It's so packed out. Hot, man, August and thing. The air conditioner wasn't working good enough to keep it cool in there. And that smell of that sweat and that detox and all was in there, man, just, just greasy. And there's this little old girl. She's sitting down here. I found out later she wasn't but 19. She looked like she was 40. I mean, man, sin with its roughshod hoofs had just stomped all over her face, man. She just looked older than Methuselah, man. And she's sitting back there and she's Jones and she's picking and she's pulling and she's pulling on herself like that. And I'm watching her and her little lip starts quivering at the bottom. You know how little babies will cry sometimes and then that little lip will start. That's the most pitiful thing in the world, man. That little lip, you just want to pick them up, you know. You know they're just being a brat, but she's just pitiful, man. And, 
I looked in there and I thought, okay, man, this is good, boy. Preacher gets done there and he gets ready and he gives an invitation and several of those girls got saved in that thing. First time they'd ever trusted Jesus Christ and ever responded to the gospel. And I thought she was going to get in. She didn't raise her hand or nothing. Just sat there. I mean, tears running down her cheeks, man. I'm talking about like rain coming down the mountain after a spring rain, boy. And dripping off and hitting that old Nagahide pew. I can see it now. And then splashing off onto that concrete, man. Little puddles down there, like old school stuff, man. And I thought, boy, maybe she's saved and repenting. Maybe she's scared. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Couldn't tell. I'm rolling up the stuff and getting ready to get things going. Big fluorescent lights up over the top of us that were there. And you walk into that thing and all of a sudden I feel a shadow come up over the top of me. And I turn around and look and it's her. And she's standing there. She's got her hands in her jumpsuit. And she's got them all wrapped around her this way. And she's, it's, it's, it's 14 sizes too big for her, man. She couldn't have been big as a pencil. And she's got that thing like there and she's rocking like a little girl. And she's, she's crying and she says, don't hurt him. Please don't hurt him. And I said, well, this is just a picture of him. I said, he's up there in heaven. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. She didn't understand nothing I was saying. She said, he can't clean me. I'm way too dirty. I said, the Bible says, come, let us ring the reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they be red like chrism, they shall be as snow. She didn't know what I was saying. I said, listen, sister, if he can clean me, he can clean you. She said, you don't know what I did. Man, she started full-blown bawling then, man. It's like somebody turned on the water spigot. She started bawling, man, getting that old, you know, trying to get her composure there. And I said, would you mind if I call the chaplain over there? An old elderly lady there had been there for 30 years as a chaplain, volunteer chaplain, named Westmoreland. She's a good woman. She comes over there, and I said, chaplain, I believe she'd like to maybe talk with you for just a minute. And they sat out on the pew right there and, they sat down there, and after just a little bit of time, they slid off of that pew. That old woman with that arthritis in her man, she did everything she could to slid off the pew. She sat down first, and then she rolled up onto her knees and grabbed that little old girl, man, and put her arm around her, and they began to pray. And about that time, a correctional officer come in the back. Walked into the door in there and hollered, you know, where's so-and-so and all that kind of a thing. And the chaplain says, I got her. I'll bring her to you. No offense, chaplain, she said. She knows what she's doing. She's supposed to be back. Everybody in the door is back. I mean, she's just going off like the Tasmanian devil, man. And I'm thinking, well, there that goes, man. That's done now, boy. I mean, just broke it. That little girl stood up like a startled rabbit, boy. She is scared to death, man. And she was in high gear. And the chaplain said, just hold on just a minute. And the little girl took off over here. She started going down that hallway. I can see her now. And I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And she looked at me. She said, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I said, I just want to ask you a quick question. And she said, I got to go. And, and I said, just one quick question. I said, did you get anything settled? And she stopped. And she turned around. You know what she said? I'm clean now. I'm clean now, she said. Still had burnt popcorn teeth. Still had skin poppers. Her hair looked like a junkyard dog been sleeping up underneath a wreck somewhere. I mean, just, she turned around, but her face was different. I'm clean now. I saw the great physician. That's what she's saying. Now, if that was your daughter, if that was your granddaughter, you'd be glad. But it's just kind of, well, can't clean me. Can't help me. You're bleeding to death, ain't you? Stealing all your energy, ain't it? Taking years off your life, isn't it? When you're sleeping at night, you can't sleep. Wake up in the morning, your bowels are all in an uproar. Your stomach's nauseated. 
You try to come to church and get some help. You know why you don't get help? You never said, Lord, help me. You know what you think? Well, I'm not bad as some other people. They need it more than me. When you bleed to death, boy, I mean, you better get some help. You say, what will happen? You know spiritually that you can bleed to death and still be saved, eternal security, thank God for it, and still go to heaven. You know, the only reason I tell you this story tonight, because I'm watching Christians in these last days of Laodicea, and instead of, you know, witnessing and doing all the things and using the excuse or with this and that and the other, you know what the real problem is? The real problem is, is when you're bleeding to death, you're so self-centered and so focused on yourself, you can't think about other people. Because you need help yourself. I call it airplane theology, and I'm done. I'm going to turn it over to your pastor. I'm going to just say this. I call it airplane theology. I fly quite a bit. You know, every couple of weeks I do four to six flights every couple of weeks and that kind of deal. That's not to impress you. That's just how it is. I could get up there if the stewardess fainted and fell out right there, or pardon me, flight attendant. Some of them you don't know which ones they are anymore. Is that a guy or is that a girl? I can't really tell. And then they talk, and you think, I still don't know. But anyway... If the flight attendant fell out, I could get up and never miss a beat. I can get up and tell them everything you do. But you know what they say? It's unlikely, but if you happen to lose cabin pressure, above your head, the oxygen mask will fall down and take the oxygen mask and put it on you. If you have on a mask, take the mask off and then put this mask on. You know what they say at the end of every one of those? Put it on yourself before you try to help others. This is a great time during these next few days to be selfish. You say, why? You can't help other people until you get help. She knew she needed help. She had done everything she could. She is a good girl. She wasn't looking for no handout. She wasn't no welfare baby. She said, I got to have some help. You say, what? She met Jesus and said, help me. Now, I'm just going to say, I'm going to guess now because I can't prove this. I think she's one of the people standing there in the Lord's triumphal entry. I think maybe the widow of Nain's son, you remember him? He died. This is how I do it. It's kind of like a Hallmark movie, you know. One day she's standing out there talking and stuff like that, and she said, boy, you ever heard about Jesus? And he says, oh, yes, matter of fact, I have. <laughs> really, when did you meet him? Well, I was dead. <laughs> and he raised me to life. She said, really? I had issues, and he took care of them. <laughs> And he said, I love you. And she said, I love you. And the snow began to cascade down the mountaintop. And the dog was laying over by the fire. And, and, you know, the whole thing, I don't know that to be true. But I bet you this. I bet you she sure was able to help other people after she got some help. But it's hard to admit you need help, ain't it? Father, I pray you bless your word tonight and take a feeble attempt to try to explain some things to the folks that probably know more things about this than I could possibly know. Lord, I know if anything in these last days, there's no question that people are lazy and self-serving and selfish. I know that, Lord. I understand that. But, Lord, I know also in the last days, there's a lot of people that are hurting. And there's a lot of people that need help. There's a lot of people, Lord, that they just need to, to be able to come to you and touch the hem of your garment and say, Lord, help me with my family and help me with my wife, help me with my husband, help me with my kids. Help me with my business. Help me with my finances, Lord. I, I need help. They're here tonight, Lord. And I've done the best I can to tell them you're passing by. And I ask you to help them to get up and come to see you. And that when they come to see you, Lord, would you stop and talk to them for just a little while. And pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.